We're not going to have a message tonight. We're going to have a little bit of update about Africa. So many of you knew that I went to Africa for about three weeks last fall, right before a Christmas party. I got back a couple days prior, and we haven't had a chance to talk about it, and I want to spend some time praying about it. And uh, as I left to Africa on November 25th, I prayed that God would change my life, and uh, he did. And so I'd like to share some of that with this ministry because I know you guys prayed and you care, and we have people in Africa, our own missionaries, who came through this Bible study. We have some in Burundi, we have some in Uganda, and there's so many other people that I met that I think we're going to add to our prayer list going forward. So at the end of my little report, we'll spend some time praying in small groups for about 10, 15 minutes, and then we'll finish the night with music. So is that okay? Good. So there's Africa for you. So all the pictures I took, so none of this is from Google. So make sure you uh, give the credit where credit is due. That's why it doesn't say Google and whatever, copyright, uh, except for the next one. Okay. So the map does come from Google, uh, but the actual animal pictures and all that comes from my phone. So just so you know where I went, uh, those are the places that are marked. I went to Mombasa, Kenya. That's where the trips start. Well, let me correct myself. We got to South Africa, Johannesburg, late Saturday night. The next morning, I preached in a city called Pretoria. You can see that at the bottom of the map. And then the next, you could say the next night. So I preached Sunday morning, Sunday at 1 a.m. We got to the airport to go back to Kenya. And uh, there were some issues with visa uh, situation that Carl Hargrove was with me, and he was rejected, uh, passport issues. Um, and uh, so I, I got to sit at the airport all day until the following evening, and then I got to travel alone. The, so we spent about four days in Kenya, and Mombasa is the city we went to. You can see that on the map. And then we came back the following weekend, back to South Africa, Johannesburg, and I preached at another church called, uh, it's a church in Nelsbrecht. You can kind of see that as well, the following Sunday. And uh, in the middle, I did a bunch of ministry in Kenya. I'll talk about that in just a second. And then the following weekend, we spent uh, at a three-day pastoral retreat uh, doing some training conversations and really uh, uh, trying to figure out how to best uh, minister in Africa as a continent. So that's the places I got to go to. The next slide uh, we'll give you, a, oh, this is one of the coolest uh, memories, is that I got to swim in the Indian Ocean. So now I've covered Atlantic, Pacific, and Indian. One more left. Okay, Arctic. Uh, Antarctica is next. In fact, Phil Johnson's son, is he back? He's back, but he was just in Antarctica. So I can imagine the pictures they have. So yeah, I guess you can go there. Uh, all right, so this is, this is a cool, this is a sunrise in, uh, over the Indian Ocean. But as we went to Africa, we had a, a couple reasons why we decided to go there. We had five elders who went, and we spread initially. Uh, the elders were Mark Tatlock, who oversees our TMAI and GMI, Carl Hargrove, who oversees ARC, which is the African Revitalization Center, and he also oversees the Grace Advanced Ministry here at the church. Uh, Rodney Anderson went. He oversees our GMI ministry, all the missionaries um, from Grace Church. There's about 100 different missionary families, and Brian Biedebach, who's also an elder. He was a missionary for 19 years in Africa, South Africa, and Malawi, about equal amount of time in each. And so the five of us went to, uh, first of all, figure out what the future pastoral ministry will look like in Africa. We've never been to Kenya. There are, there are no missionaries in Kenya from Grace Church. There are no training centers. And so our goal was to go and try to see if we can establish some relationships in Kenya 
and hopefully one day start a training center. We have a seminary student currently who's halfway through from Kenya, from Nairobi, and his desire is to go back. And so I'll talk about him a little bit later. There's a picture of him. So the first purpose was to kind of get a sense of Kenya, the lay of the land, get to meet some pastors and churches and ministry uh, team leaders and see if we can do something there in the future. The second goal was to um, make some more friendships and partnerships in South Africa itself. And so that conference at the end of the trip that I mentioned, the three-day conference, we had people from Zambia, Malawi, and South Africa, all over the place from South Africa, multiple cities, about 35 of us, trying to figure out exactly how we're going to partner in the future to spend more time, more money really investing into resources, translation projects, and more training. And the last one is, as you guys asked, I asked you to pray. Well, remember the prayer request? To see a lion. I saw 10 of them. So you guys are awesome. You guys, somebody prayed constantly, I guess. God, I kept seeing them everywhere. Um, so before I talk about the ministry, I want to give you a sense of Africa through some of the pictures. So Kruger National Park is the largest safari park in Africa. Um, it stretches into Mozambique and into Zimbabwe. And the big five are those five animals that uh, people talk about if they go to Africa, they want to see them. And it's nearly impossible to see all five in a single trip. And uh, I've talked to multiple people who've been there many times and they hadn't seen all five on a single trip. Uh, well, it so happened. We were there for about 24 hours and I got to see all five, which is pretty cool. I saw like 80 buffalo uh, crossing the road in front of us, um, multiple rhinos, 17 elephants in one spot, and, um, and then many others, and then a couple leopards, and then, like I said, about 10 different lions. So those are the other animals that I saw, and some of them, I don't think I could identify them with a picture again, like a Nayella. I have no idea what that is, but they're everywhere. So just look at some pictures, and you can get a sense of God's creation. So the little creature on the right, I took these photos. I get all the credit, Michael. <laughs> With my iPhone. Wow, you guys are so anti-iPhone. What's happening? Hey, you don't have to take a picture of the screen. I'll send you the picture. <laughs> it's going to be a night and much nicer quality. Um, so you've got a hyena on the right. And uh, we, we went out the second day at 4.30 in the morning, hoping to see lions. And the first pack of creatures we saw is a bunch of hyenas and one of them clearly just came out of a fight because it was bleeding all over the place right in the neck and it was still a very fresh wound and so I didn't want to show it to you in case some of you can't handle that but um, there's a bunch of them so this guy was about I mean I could touch it if I just reached out my hand from the window I could easily touch him clearly he's upset with me um, <laughs> but the very first animal I saw in Africa is the zebra on the left and uh, this was at a restaurant, and he was just kind of hanging out just outside the patio. Uh, this was not at this park. It was a different place. So keep going. Um, this is probably the most majestic animal that I would say I saw. The first time you see a giraffe is just unbelievable. They're so tall and beautiful, and they get darker as they age. So if you see, like, a really bright yellow one, it's a little baby. And I saw some babies as well, so it was really fun. Um, keep going. Um, so the left picture, you can see the monkeys cleaning each other. This was outside my window. I stayed at a house, the pastor's house where I preached. Um, and this is in their backyard. 
And there was about 15 of them just running around, chasing each other, screaming. One was stealing food from the bird, the bird little cage. Um, the ones on the right are from the park, and you can see the baby. So there's some more for you. So you can see that's uh, about a 20-second video. But there's just monkeys everywhere in this park. So it's really fun. Um, you know, seeing animals in the zoo is one thing, but seeing them in the wild is just unbelievable. You know, I kept thinking about Genesis 1 and 2. I kept thinking about the beauty of God's creation. And when you see that in person, it's impossible to believe in evolution. And to see the, the you know, you go from a monkey to a giraffe, to an elephant, to a lion, to a leopard, to Pumbaa right there. Um, yeah, they were everywhere. And they were fun. They liked to chase each other. Uh, so uh, then, of course, we saw Croc. And he was taking a rest, I think probably waiting to kill something. Um, I've never watched so many YouTube videos of animals as I've had in the last three weeks. It's fun. This is a leopard. This is the first evening, and then we saw another one the following morning. Uh, the second time, he was eating something, so that was pretty fun. Um, so there's impalas everywhere. There's 170,000 impalas in this park, which is just magnificent when you see them. And then you've got some that God decided to put stripes on. You're like, look, I'll just have the same kind of looking animal, but I'm just going to put some stripes on him. And you just see the, the difference, the, the variety, variety in creation that God decided to do. So that's a male and a female. Akudu is what it's called. Keep going. Uh, so there are the lions. There's five of them. Every single time we saw a lion, basically they were sleeping. And somebody told me that 20 hours a day they sleep. And so they usually hunt at night. Um, and so there's, I think, two lionesses and then a couple male lions. I did see them walk, and I, you could tell that there's a massive male lion. Uh, so unfortunately, I didn't get to see one close up. So we'll keep praying for that next time. Um, so this, is, this was a moment when we were just driving, and all of a sudden we saw elephants. And they just kept walking and walking, and we kept backing up our car just to see what they would do. And about five minutes later, they decided to cross the road right in front of us. And they actually got upset a bit. Um, and uh, when an elephant gets upset, it begins to mass, which means like little, uh, it gets dark right below the eyes. That's the first sign, like back up. The second sign is the, uh, the ears begin to kind of flap forward. And the third sign is the trunk starts being activated. And so thankfully, she or he never really did that to us. But it's kind of fun to watch them all crossing. There's little baby ones. It was pretty cute. Keep going. Um, so this guy was really unhappy with us and just stared us down forever. And in this park, the animals have the right of way. And so you're not going to move. You're just going to sit there. So we stayed there. It was, I don't know how many minutes we just sat there. And so we decided to kind of end it all. And so then this is what happened to him. He was done. So look, what's the pinnacle of God's creation? Man or animal? Man, thank you. Somebody knows their Bible. That happened, not at the park, because you're not supposed to do anything to the animals in the park. You can't even get out of the car, actually. That's the rule. But yeah, I went hunting, and I did kill something. So it's a wildebeest. So it's kind of fun. I never hunted in my life, and to go for the first time in Africa was exciting. So um, there we go. Huh? Say that again. What did I use? I used a 358. 
Uh, he's about 350 pounds, I think, is what I was told. So, uh, and what they do is they take the meat after somebody hunts and they give it to the villagers because it's in a poor community. And so they give away the meat or they try to sell it at a huge discount to help the people in the village. So I feel like I contributed to the, you know, the community in Africa. All right, next. All right, good. So um, that was the fun stuff. But the main reason we went was not to kill or to, uh, to even swim in the Indian Ocean. As I said, the goal was to figure out how Grace Church and TMAI and GMI and ARC, and I know there's a lot of acronyms, all of those are uh, ministries affiliated with Grace Church that do ministry internationally. And as I reflected on my trip, those two passages came to mind. Matthew 9 and 1 Corinthians 16. 1 Corinthians 16 Paul says, a wide and effective door has opened for ministry, and he's writing this about Ephesus, and there are many adversaries. And the reason that that is true of Africa is because the health and wealth and prosperity gospel has ravished Africa. It's really just sad and disturbing how many false teachers have taken advantage of the poorest continent, and people that sometimes don't eat for days because they have no food, are in a context, a religious context, where they are giving up their last pennies, hoping that God would solve their poverty problem. And there are many adversaries. One of them is this social gospel. There are also Muslims. Islam is a big movement in over 60%, generally speaking. Certain some countries are way more than that. But generally speaking, over 60% is Muslim. I was talking to one pastor I met in the villages. He said that, you know, the kids would come to church, to Sunday school, and they're all excited. And then one day they all disappear. And then they, he sees them walking past their church, going to the mosque. And so the father, who is Muslim, found out about them going to church and basically forbade them. And so that happens regularly. And he said that's a challenge that they've had to deal with. And, of course, poverty is a big deal. And I'll talk about that a little bit later. And then Matthew 9, where Jesus says the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore... Pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. And people talk about there being 1.3 billion people on the continent of Africa. People talk about that there is not enough translation, translations of the Bible into various tribal languages. And uh, this verse became so vivid that the need is so great. And it's true that the need is great everywhere. We have a major need in our country. The need in Europe is great, the post-Christian continent and in Russia and in Asia and everywhere Uh, but not having been to many of those places but seeing this with my own eyes you just come back and you think we have it pretty good in America especially in our context where we have access to so many resources and um, to so much good preaching and so those passages just became so vivid for me as I reflect on, on that ministry so one of the things that we did is to go into the villages in Mombasa and to meet with pastors. So the first day we got to Kenya, we drove around Mombasa and met with different pastors and different church leaders. So the guy in the middle, his name is Eric, and he's from Nairobi, and he's one of those individuals we met and possibly will end up doing ministry with. Uh, he was extremely uh, you know, like, like-minded and very much uh, consistent with our theology, philosophy of ministry, and so on. The guys on each of his uh, side is Stephen, um, is on, on the left side. He's the student at, sem- at the seminary from Kenya. He's halfway through. And so his goal is to go back to Kenya 
and hopefully start a training center. And the guy on the right is Brian. He's from South Africa, Johannesburg. He's also in seminary. He's graduating this May. And so his desire is also to be influential and really effective in Africa one day. So I'll keep going. So as we traveled in Mombasa, this is Mombasa, the historic town. It's very uh, Islamic in the way it looks because of the Arabic influence back from the 1500s. Uh, but it's, it gives you a sense of what it's like to live in that city. Keep going. And the first day, this is so from Mombasa, we traveled about two and a half hours to get to our first destination. It was a village church. And you can see this is the building, right? There are no windows. Uh, this specific church on the left uh, has no electricity at all, no windows, no doors. The one on the right, um, so the one on the right is the first stop. The one on the left is the second stop. But the one on the right, you can at least see some fans in, uh, on the ceiling. And you can imagine this was 100% humidity, and it was about 90 degrees. So it was really hot. Um, but in both of those locations, we met with individuals who the only thing they have access to is a Bible. And they were begging us for something more than the Bible to be able to study their Bibles. One of them, and I'll show you a picture later. Maybe there's a picture coming up. Go ahead. Yeah, so the guy's on the right. You see the guy in the red shirt? A young man, he's 25. He pastors a church of 250 people. His father is also a pastor. He's been pastoring for two years by this point. All he has is a Bible to study his Bible, to prepare for preaching. But in this Bible, he's got a little introduction to each of the books. And he was so excited that his Bible has something more than just the text. So he begins to read to us the introduction to 1 Peter with joy and excitement. And, you know, I'm there and the seminary guys, and we've read that stuff before. But it's just so fun to watch him read it with such joy and to know that at least my Bible has one paragraph telling me what 1 Peter, when it was written, to whom it was written, where it was written, and why it was written. And I think when, I, when we compare that to what we have access to, I hope that it, pauses, it causes you to pause and say, I'm so thankful that my Bible has some resources in it, whether it's the index or the concordance or the cross-references or something like the MacArthur Study Bible, you know, significant introduction, and they don't have it. They don't have a MacArthur Study Bible. They were begging me, give us a MacArthur Study Bible, please. They're not even, they, they speak English, but their first language is Swahili or some other tribal language. And so they're willing to do the work and translate as long as it takes just to be able to get something more than just the text itself. And just imagine what that means. So this is the, one of the churches. You can go back. One of the churches on the right, that's where we sat inside there. And then the bottom is a typical house. It's a mud brick house. And so, of course, there's no electricity. There's no water. There's none of that in this village. And uh, uh, the pastor there took him seven years to build that church on the right. Because he took him that long to save money. And that's the church that has no electricity and no windows and no doors. And nobody can give any money to a church because he said, I come to church and a lot of my people haven't eaten for days because there's nothing that they can afford to buy. And they all work 10 hours a day. Most of them are chopping down trees to convert them to uh, coal in order to go and sell it into the city. And they make about a buck 50 a day after 10 hour work day of chopping down trees. And so you don't think, well, yeah, everything's cheaper there. Gas was $9 a gallon. So that gives you a reference point of how much they make versus how much things cost. And a Coke, uh, 
Coke, a can of Coke was 60 cents. So it's not that far off from what we pay for that. So it's extremely difficult financially. You can see that. But this man spent seven years building the church because he said, as I get enough money, I go buy some more concrete and I add more bricks. And that's how long it took him to be able to accomplish all that. Uh, keep going. So there's some kids running around in that little village area and, and we didn't get to talk to any of them, but they were just you know, interested in what we were doing over there. A bunch of white people. Um, actually, it was just two of us, <laughs> two white people. Um, the next day, we went to back to Mombasa. So we spent about 10 hours, maybe 12 hours driving that first day from village to village and meeting with different pastors who traveled some 200 kilometers just to be able to sit down with uh, us and just talk about ministry for one hour. And then we had to go to another city. So this, the following day, um, because Carl Hargrove couldn't make it to Kenya, um, I was able to, um, well, I was asked to basically cover his sessions. So I ended up teaching three times uh, that um, at that the day and um, talked about qualifications for ministry, talked about why expository preaching is the model that we follow because the health and wealth and prosperity churches are so massive because of this promise of God's wealth will pour down upon you if you give to us that that's the only model they have. They have no access to training. And so they see these men preaching a lot of heresy, and they just want to imitate. And so they do imitate. And so I was asked to say, well, why don't you talk about what true biblical preaching is? And so I spent an hour or so talking about what it means to be a biblical expositor and how we defend that from the Bible. Then I gave them an example of how do you preach through a book and then did a Q&A, and it was fantastic. You know, people traveled from all over the place. The next picture should give you a sense of... Um, that there you go. So there's about 50 people there or so. Um, but remember, they're traveling 500 kilometers or so, some 300, some 500, just to be there for a day. And this was the first time we ha- they had any interaction with um, Grace Church. But what's fascinating is once they heard that somebody's coming from John MacArthur's ministry, they were willing to sacrifice their money and their time, and they're giving up work hours to be able to go and interact with somebody. Um, keep going. So as we met with the people, this is a church back in South Africa. I preached uh, the second Sunday. Uh, one of our graduates here, he's actually here this week for his demon um, program. But uh, a church of about 70, 100 people or so. And so I got to preach at Nelsbrecht, which was on the map as well. So back to Kenya for just a minute. Uh, meeting different leaders, we, met, we realized that we have potentially access to 1,100 pastors who are in this network, and they're connected. And these are the men that have no access to any resources uh, in their own language, not even in English. And so one of the prayer requests that we'll have later is for us to pray that God would create partnerships with Grace Church and these individuals and have them be strategic so that we can actually do something as we enter that field for the first time. Keep going. All right, the next point I wanted to bring up as we talk about Africa is something that I observed um, is people sitting on the streets everywhere. And so I asked, what are they doing? And the answer was, they're unemployed. 60% unemployment in certain parts. Kenya, 60%. South Africa officially is about 40, but the men were telling me it's more, more like 50 to 55%. So just imagine a society where more than half of the people aren't working. 
And so what ends up happening, like I was looking at this, there's so many of these places where there's all these bikers. And I asked them, what are these guys doing? Are they gangs? And they said, no, these are taxis. All they want is for somebody to ask them to transport them somewhere. And they'll pay the charge for like a five-hour ride is like a buck. So anything will help them to make any money. And so the, the child on the left, you've got kids, six to 10-year-olds. They're selling nuts, peanuts, anything, cashews on the street, right on the highway. And so if there's any vehicle that slows down, they run to this vehicle, hoping that you would buy something from them. And so everybody's trying to find a job. You saw people sitting just uh, in front of their homes. And what ends up happening is they bring whatever they have, stuff, put it in front of their house like that. And they're just hoping somebody would come by and need something that they're offering so they can barter and then be able to buy some food. And I'm sure you've seen pictures and you've heard stories about Africa, but it puts it in perspective when you realize that work, oftentimes we complain about it, the long hours and the tasks that we're asked to do when it's not consistent with our job description. But when you begin to see people street after street, city after city, village after village unemployed, you begin to realize work is a gift. And work wasn't given to man after the fall, right? Genesis 1, 26 to 28, God made a command. He gave a mandate for man to oversee and really uh, manage creation. And so work comes back to pre-fall, and it was convicting to think about how many times I complain about my long work hours and so on. And it was just an encouragement to say, you know what? Ecclesiastes says so many times that God has given you the gift of work, and you are to find joy in that. Even if it's work that you're not enjoying doing that moment. And uh, just a good reminder that we need to be thankful. If you have a job, be thankful for it. Okay? Now, as, you, as we look ahead, go ahead. Prayer request that I'd like to put in front of us as we turn our attention to prayer in just a few minutes. is first of all, pray for the ministry partnerships that we'd like to form. Kenya, both in the city of Mombasa and Nairobi and in the surrounding villages. Also in South Africa, there's multiple places. Men came from all over the place, as I said, from Cape Town, from Pretoria, from um, Polakwani, um, Durban, and a few other cities. And the goal was to try to figure out how to do more pastoral training in all of those areas. As much as COVID has affected our country and set some limitations on what we can and can do, especially in education, right? How many of us did stuff through Zoom? Well, they have those same limitations. In fact, some more, unfortunately, than we have. And so now we're talking about possibly extending pastoral training through uh, the online medium. And so you can be praying that we would have wisdom on how to do that effectively within the parameters of accreditation that we have, uh, have to comply with here in the States and they have to comply with in South Africa. So pray for that. In Zambia, some men came from Zambia to this pastoral retreat. And they have some training over there, but they're begging for people to come and train some more. They said, we'll give you a region of 300 pastors and you completely take care of them. You just do whatever you can to cover them because we just don't have the time to get to that whole territory. We're already in connect, connected with them. They come to our conferences and all that. There's an established relationship. And this ministry that I'm referring to, CABU is what um, is the initial uh, the acronym for it but it's Central Africa Baptist University, but they are like-minded with us. And so just thinking through ways to partner with existing ministries that are faithful as well. 
And then the last one is for us. We've got TMAI, the Masters Academy International. We've got GMI, which is the ministry that oversees all our missionaries. We have ARC that I mentioned earlier, overseen by Carl Hargrove. And those three entities that are connected to Grace Church, led by our elders, how do we work together in ways that we can essentially create some parameters and clear distinctions on what ministry is going to focus on what need? And we have the need to train. We have the need to translate. I talked about the need for Bibles. The, the, the Swahili Bible, for example, is translated from the NIV and the living translation. It's a hybrid. Somebody back in the day took those two Bibles, put them side by side, and translated them into Swahili. So it's a hybrid model. Now, if you've ever read the living Bible, or if you've read the NIV, NIV is much better. You know, that's not the most accurate translation of the Bible. But that's all they have. And so now we're talking about potentially translating the Bible into Swahili from um, either the legacy Bible or perhaps going back to the Greek and Hebrew originally and just trying to give them a resource that is a little bit more accurate to the original word of God. Decisions have to be made about funding, about priorities, you know, what publishers will allow to do as we get to, um, you know, start asking those questions and um, you know, do we translate the FOF booklet first, for example? Do we translate MacArthur's sermons, perhaps? Do we translate the biblical doctrine book? Do we translate the MacArthur study Bible notes? You know, all of those will take years, except for FOF might be faster. But the rest of them will take years and years to do because of the, mass, the, the massive projects that they are. And so I really mean it. Please be praying for wisdom for our elders as we begin to navigate those conversations on how do we prioritize our money and our resources, And also on the Swahili side, pray for the right people in Kenya to be identified who are like-minded theologically, who are trusted, and who are fantastic linguists. Because if you're going to translate the Bible, you better get it right into a foreign language, which is why it takes so long to do that. And of course, on our end, we want to find the right people. And so we asked that guy, Eric, who was in that earlier picture, to identify those individuals who know English well and who know Swahili well, and it's going to have to be a team effort because the Bible is massive to be able to do that. Okay, so pray for the elders as we talk about prioritizing our resources and really figuring out what project goes first. And then pray for the seminary grads. Somebody like Stephen Muigai, who is currently here. He's come to our Bible study multiple times, by the way. And uh, pray that God would continue to keep that desire in him. He's halfway through seminary. And my uh, son just a couple of days ago, he can't wait to get back. But before he does that, we're trying to figure out a way to keep the connection going even now. You know, do we do short-term trips, send him back, and so he can start developing a network where one day when he goes back, he'll be able to actually uh, start a training center. And pray that God would provide more men from Kenya. Unfortunately, um, there's a man who is about to come, and he was declined the visa twice uh, just in the last couple of weeks. His name is Joseph, and he's devastated. I met him, his wife, just a fantastic couple. But you can imagine why the U.S. government would decline a visa because the statistics of people staying here and using a student visa just as an entry point is high. And so we're going to begin training him through the online options. But um, it's probably going to get harder and harder for people from Africa to come here and to study. And so that whole online discussion, online education becomes a very significant part of what we're going to try to do. Pray for another man. His name is Gideon. Gideon is a graduate of one of the seminaries that was established in Malawi by, our, by Brian Biedebach. 
And when he was there with us and he told us a story that while he was at a prayer meeting, it was a Friday morning really early, uh, that morning the local government, instead of sending 220 volts of electricity to his house, they accidentally sent 350. That burned down more than half of his house. Uh, the, his wife barely grabbed the two children and ran out. And so they lost a, that house in that moment. Secondly, um, the government, when they were applying for visas, because he's from Malawi and he was in South Africa at that time, the government somehow messed up his wife's visa. And so they had to be deported back. And so now, after all these years of trying and trying to set up a ministry and so on, this just became a bit of a nuisance. And so he had to, he's at this point trying to obviously utilize his training and all that's been invested into him. So he's going to be in Zambia for a little while in one of those training centers. But just pray for him and everything they lost. And it just happened days before we got there. And there's other prayer needs, but for now, just keep those at the forefront of your um, prayer list, please. And I would also say that as we kind of wrap it up, um, I want to make sure that we are never ungrateful for what we have. And as I said at the beginning, I prayed that God would change me. And he did. And this is one of those top areas where God changed me. Uh, it's pretty difficult to complain about anything in your life when you're transported into that context. And the first thing that I was grateful for is the global reach of this ministry. We have no idea how impactful this campus has been globally. And unless you've traveled to a place like Africa or maybe deep into Asia, like Thailand or Cambodia, or maybe some other parts of Middle East where people know about grace, they know about John MacArthur because they have YouTube. And as problematic as YouTube is, censoring Phil Johnson, he told me a couple of days ago, and censoring John MacArthur, and you've heard those stories, I'm sure, they've circulated. The people in those places that have no access to any resources but a Bible have access to YouTube. And that's how they find out about good preaching. And so that's why they were so excited to travel up to 500 kilometers to meet somebody. MacArthur wasn't going, they knew that. But to meet somebody from this church, a known name, just to be able to talk to somebody, how do you study your Bible? How do you set up a sermon that's biblical? Because we see these false teachers and we know that's wrong because we hear MacArthur preach on YouTube. That's the right way. And to find out that they have access to nothing but this YouTube channel and they watch MacArthur more and more. And then they say, can, we, can you please find a way to get me to Shepherd's Conference? And many of these men... Don't hear preaching. They're the preachers. They're the only solid voice in their village. And so they go for months, if not years, without any input of truth other than YouTube. And so we need to be thankful that God is using this ministry, our pastor specifically, for over 50 years through this ministry, to reach into places that we're going to probably mostly find out about in heaven. And you're here, providentially. Our family is here providentially. We were supposed to be in Australia. I was supposed to have an Australian accent. But we landed here by accident in God's providence. And you have your own story and why you're here. And if you, this is your first time and maybe you just got here and you're checking out Grace Church from a different state or a different uh, church locally, we're glad you're here. And I just want to make sure we understand that we are part of a global ministry. 
And God brings people here to be trained and then go back. And that takes me to our second point, and that is invest into international ministries, partnerships, and friendships. We have, okay, if you're an international seminar student, raise your hand, hopefully at least, at least one. There you go, one, two, three. So there's three here, right? Two from Germany and one from Russia, okay? And he just arrived three months ago. They've been here for a year. They're locals. Um, but they're going back, right? <laughs> they're going back. Sometime, and only God knows when, and only God knows where. But while they're here, what I, what I encourage all of us to do, those who are staying, is to remember the time that you spend with these individuals who gave up a lot of times all of their savings to get here because that's what the U.S. government requires before they give you a student visa to show us how much money you have so that you can live here and not become a burden to the society. And they're here to learn how to do ministry. And it doesn't matter if you're not in seminary. What matters is that you're part of Grace Church, so make friends because when they go back, they'll think fondly of the time they spent here and they'll probably try to set up short-term ministry trips and they'll come back to Shepherd's Conference and then you'll have international friends and hopefully through those conversations, you'll be able to impact people outside of your own context. In that sense, we're fulfilling John chapter 4. After the conversation that Jesus had with the Samaritan woman and he sends his disciples away to get some food, they come back and they say, hey, we brought you some food. And Jesus says, I'm not hungry anymore. They're like, what happened? Who brought him food? They get upset that they went out looking for food and he's no longer hungry. And Jesus says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. And then he says this, even now, he who reaps is receiving wages and is gathering fruit for life eternal so that he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this case, the saying is true. One sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. Do you see the camaraderie that Jesus is talking about in ministry? It's the same thing that Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3. Some are are sowing the seed. Others are watering the seed. And God is causing the growth. And whatever part you are playing in the conversations that happen here on Friday night... Sunday morning, a different time of the ministry, Wednesday nights in men's ministry or women's ministry, all of those God is using, if they are Christ-oriented and spiritually beneficial, God is using all that in order to actually produce harvest. And sometimes somebody else has done a ton of pre-work and then you land into that life and that final sentence makes sense and somebody gets saved. And you feel like you're so great because all you said is one sentence. But how much pre-work had to be done? That's what Jesus is saying. You are entering into their labor. And I think being in this, on, this context, uh, this, on this campus in such an international context, this verse is true. That we're entering into other people's labor. And God is using all of this to hopefully one day mature people sometimes safe people. And I want to encourage you, do not get stuck focusing just on your closest friends. Open your eyes and see how many people are around you from other countries, from other places, here to be trained and go back and start churches, start training centers. And your simple time in discipleship and small group, community group is going to one day perhaps 
be impactful in starting a training center that will graduate 5,000 pastors like Ukraine, for example, and many, many others. If we were to calculate how many graduates there are through TMAI, there's only 18 TMAI centers, but there's over 10,000 graduates. So you've got 18 TMS guys. Let's double up. Let's say 36 because most of them have two people or so. But there's thousands of people who are serving somewhere because of those 30 to 50 men. And you get a chance to shape them. One way is through Shepherds Conference. This is not a plug for me to get you to serve at Shepherds in three months or two months. It's a plug for me to say, this is this year. So we're at about four, probably 4,500 by now. We had less than 100 spots a week ago. Cami, you would know. Are we basically done? Yeah, so we're almost done, Cami says. She's the, uh, the administrative assistant for Shepherds Conference. And, um, you know, we're beyond maxed out. Let me just say that. But we'll need people to serve. But as you serve, if you are committed to doing that, remember you're talking to pastors from other countries. And some of whom are the men that I just described. We have three men coming from Zambia. And we have multiple men coming from um, South Africa, various training centers. And if you bump into them, it's their first time ever. They've been praying and dreaming and hoping for this week. And you bump into them, and we know you're going to love them and care for them and shine their shoes and give them juice and give them coffee and whatever. But just ask questions. Don't just hand something. Ask and then remember and then pray. And I think shepherds, in my mind after this trip, is becoming more and more of that important week when we get to invest into eternity and advancing the kingdom of God globally. And one final encouragement is thank God for your Bible and your commentary and your dictionary and your concordance and your, if you know Greek or Hebrew, for that ability to learn. It was so impactful on me to be able to say, you know what, I have thousands of books in my office. I do. I haven't read most of them. I use them for sermon prep and other things. They have nothing. Not a single book other than the Bible. And in one church, there's only three Bibles for 250 people, one of whom belongs to the pastor. So there's two Bibles for 250 people because they just can't afford them. So if you have something more, or if you have a Bible, Bibles, plural, right? I don't think there's a single person here who only has one Bible. Yeah, you probably have a few. Multiple translations. Get rid of all of them except for the Legacy Bible. <laughs> Thank God that you have a Bible that's extremely accurate to the original language in which it was written. And so as difficult as it is sometimes for us to get up and read our Bibles, or to read them before we go to bed, or maybe even get up on Sunday morning and make it to church by 9 a.m., as hard as that is, these, the, the people in so many parts of the world would give up everything for a single experience of what you get to do every single Sunday. And remember this. One day, you're going to be watching YouTube of John MacArthur because he'll be in heaven. And you'll be remembering those amazing Sundays when you saw him in person, even if you sit in the very back. And that's how we remember Spurgeon and Calvin and Luther and so many individuals that God used in church history to shape the church universal. One of them is our pastor. 
and what these men experience just through a little screen on their little phone, I think in sometime in the future, I'm not going to prophesy when, but sometime in the future, that's all we're going to be able to do as well. So be thankful and be disciplined to enjoy these Sundays when Pastor John is still here. And he's doing well, by the way. I talked to him earlier today and he's recovering. You probably saw the email that went out earlier today. He's recovering from a procedure earlier a few days ago was performed uh, and he had some blockage in his heart and they cleared all that out. And he said to me on the phone, once I recover, I'm going to be like a 16-year-old boy (laughs) with my heart. So that's his quote. Um, But keep praying for him, that God would sustain him the next couple of weeks as he really has to focus on recovery and rest and be thankful that you're part of a global ministry. And God is using this ministry, and you are a contributor to it. You give your hard-earned money. You give your time, and I'm so grateful for that on behalf of the elders, our pastor. Thank you for doing that for our church. But also remember, it's a privilege to be here at this time. So, to thank God for all that, I think it's appropriate to pray. Let's spend 10 to 15 minutes praying. And here's how I want to focus our prayer. You can pray for those things that are right there in front of you. But I'm going to add a couple other elements. The missionaries that we have, that we have adopted, they came through this ministry and then ultimately left. So we have a family in Burundi. Carlin and Michelle are their names with two little kids. And they are, he's a doctor, so he went there to do medical missions in 2016. So it's been about six years. They're coming back on furlough a little bit later this year. So you can pray for them. Uh, some of you might know this, but they've pr- been asking for prayer because of the uh, the drought that hit Africa really badly for a couple of years, and they were severely affected by it. It's better now, thankfully, but pray that God would continue to bless them with rain. We've been complaining about our rainfall, right? No? Well, it's been pretty muddy. Um, and either way, we're thankful that we get to do this. But pray for that. And so we're going to cycle through these requests as we pray. Second family, go ahead, is Mike and Irina, my cousin Mike. Uh, They've been in Russia for almost five years. The war forced them out. So they're here now temporarily trying to figure out what to do next and where to go. I spent some time with them last weekend, actually. And they just pray that God would give them clarity. I think right now the main prayer request for them is clarity on what's next. That's what they're trying to figure out because they don't want to give up on their missions, uh, opportunity and goal. And then the last one is Pius. Pius is in Uganda and he is, uh, he's just, I think he's been here for about eight years with foundation before he left a few years ago. He's doing church planting and evangelism in uh, Kampala, uh, the city of Kampala. And so pray that God will continue to bless his efforts. And he's there all alone. And every single time we talk or text, he says, pray that God would send somebody to partner with. You know, it gets discouraging. He's been there for multiple years now. And he comes to Shepherds every year. If you see him, please greet him and just pray with him and just kind of get to know him a little bit. And he will usually comes to our Bible study to chat with us as well. Okay, so we'll cycle through those. In addition to the prayer request I said earlier, simply put, pray for translation efforts. Pray for wisdom as we begin to figure out the training efforts in Kenya especially. And pray that God would continue to bring more individuals to our seminary to send back Uh, to do more work in Africa. Thanks for letting me give you an update. Um, But I also hope that this gives you a chance to remember that this isn't the only true church on the planet. We are a church, a faithful church, a true church. 
but the church is global. And let's pray for them, those who are suffering, those who are being persecuted, and those who would give anything to experience what you experience every single week.